0: Get the most out of your time in the outdoors and go to Forlow.com and use code DAILYWIRE for 20% off your purchase. That's Forlow.com code DAILYWIRE. Today on the Matt Wall Show, people are very upset that I said feminism is one of the deadliest and most destructive forces in human history. Today, I will explain in detail why I'm right about that. Also, LeBron James' 18-year-old son goes into cardiac arrest. As you can imagine, there are all kinds of questions we aren't allowed to ask about that, but we will anyway today. CNN goes to San Francisco to investigate the claims of a shoplifting epidemic and personally witnesses three people stealing in the span of 30 minutes. Also, what does it mean to be a trans ally? Why is this so-called alliance always one-sided? And a self-described sassy TikTok influencer gets herself arrested in Dubai. Apparently, sassy is illegal over there. Who knew? All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You know what company is looking out for you when they actually upgrade your service and don't charge you for it. This is great news for new and current Pure Talk customers. Pure Talk just added data to every plan and includes a mobile hotspot with no price increases whatsoever. If you've considered Pure Talk before but haven't uh, made the switch yet, take a look again. For just $20 a month, you'll get unlimited talk, text, and now 50% more 5G data plus their new mobile hotspot. This is why I love Pure Talk. They're veteran-owned and only hire the best customer service team located right here in the great USA. Most families are saving almost $1,000 a year while enjoying the most dependable 5G network in America. Remember, you vote with how you spend your money, so stop supporting woke wireless companies that don't support you. When you go to puretalk.com slash Walsh, you'll save an additional 50% off the first month because they actually value you. That's puretalk.com slash Walsh. Pure Talk, wireless for Americans by Americans. Unlike the media, I have not exactly been fawning over the huge box office numbers this past weekend. But even I must admit that it's rather fascinating to see this kind of success for a film that centers around one of the most devastating and deadly inventions in the history of the human race. Indeed, it is not every day that audiences flock to see a movie about a weapon of mass destruction. And of course... Lots of people also went to see Oppenheimer. But Barbie was the bigger film, and it tells the story of a vastly more destructive force. I don't mean the Barbie doll, but rather feminism. Not every man-made weapon of mass death is as obvious as a nuclear bomb. Mushroom clouds are easy to comprehend and easy to see. Uh, The significance is obvious, but the more abstract and tangible threats to human life can be far deadlier than nukes. With that in mind, a few days ago I tweeted this factually true statement. Here it is, quote, This is a good time to remember that feminism has killed far more people than the atomic bomb. It is perhaps the most destructive force in human history. Trans ideology, its offshoot, is competing for the title. That's what I wrote. Predictably, there was outrage from the left. Uh, That was always going to happen. Of course, no matter what I said, I could tweet something really obvious like 2 plus 2 equals 4 or something really innocuous like, uh, I don't know, I enjoy pancakes and they still call me a bigot and report my account demanding that I be deplatformed. So it was no surprise that this admittedly slightly more provocative statement meant that uh, I would trend on the site for multiple days as the outraged masses had a series of temper tantrums about it. Now, I don't need to give you examples of their responses. They're exactly what you expect. Matt Walsh is a fascist. He hates women. He's a misogynist. He's a sexist, et cetera, and so forth. The only mildly interesting feedback came from the so-called gender-critical feminists, the feminists who opposed trans ideology, who reacted to my statement as if it was some kind of deep betrayal against them. You know, we're on the same side nominally on the trans issue, which means that I am apparently required to pretend that feminism is good. This is a contract that I signed, apparently, but I don't remember signing it. We'll return to the gender critical set in a few minutes. Let's get first to the substance of my claim. As far as that goes, feminism's status as a historically destructive force in human history is clear as day. To begin with, if you accept that unborn babies are human beings, which obviously they are, because they could be nothing else, then we can directly blame feminism for 60 million deaths in the United States alone. Now, when I pointed this out, Martina Navratilova, tennis legend and outspoken feminist responded, a fetus is not a baby. What a moronic thing to say. You spout about language used by the trans lobby and then do the same calling embryos babies. Hypocrite much? Well, Martina, I guess I need to ask you an even more basic question than the one that I asked trans activists. Um, and that question is, Um, What is a human? Can you answer that, Martina? I bet you can't. I guarantee you cannot come up with a coherent definition of human that excludes unborn children. You cannot coherently define human or person in a way that allows you to be one, but leaves unborn humans out in the cold. The word fetus, Martina, simply means offspring. You are pretending that there is some sort of innate definitional distinction between offspring and baby. A distinction that you believe is so important that it gives us the moral right to destroy, quote, fetuses and mass. But a baby is the young offspring of two human parents. They they mean the same thing. The only thing that the word baby does is stipulate which stage of development the offspring is currently going through. A human in the womb is in a stage of of human development. A six-month-old baby outside the womb is in a stage of human development, Uh, same for teenagers, same for middle-aged former tennis players. These are stages of development. They are ages. So if you say that it's okay to kill fetuses but not babies, you might as well say that it's okay to kill 41-year-olds but not 42-year-olds. The position makes no sense. We're left with the harsh reality that abortion has killed 60 million human beings, a death toll that can be laid squarely at the feet of feminism, since feminism has made the defense and promotion of this atrocity into one of its core tenets. That already puts it at least in the running for most destructive force, competing perhaps only with communism. But the distinction between feminism and communism is not absolute. I mean, these are related ideologies at a minimum. Marx and Engels called for the abolition of the nuclear family, just as many modern feminists do. We'll get to that in a second. In the past century, feminists have succeeded in destroying uh, uh, millions of babies and also the nuclear family to a degree that American communists could only dream of. According to a study from Child Trends, just 9% of children lived with single parents in the 1960s, before the rise of modern feminism. By 2012, that number had increased to nearly 30%. In 2019, Pew found that the United States has the highest rate of children living in single-family homes of any country in the world. Divorce is a major driving factor for these numbers, of course. From the 1960s to the 1980s, divorce rates in the U.S. more than doubled. You'll often see studies showing that In the last few years, divorce rates are down, but that's only because many people aren't bothering to get married in the first place. They've just given up on the whole institution. Given what we're seeing, it's impossible to argue the family unit hasn't been dramatically weakened due to the influence of feminism. And weakened on purpose. They've always been very clear that that's what they want to do. Feminism set out to weaken and dismantle and destroy the nuclear family. And then what do you know, as feminism is ascendant, the nuclear family begins to fall apart. And then what? We look at that and say, oh, it must be a coincidence. Those two things aren't related. If you accept that the family is an essential building block of civilization, then we're left with an ideology that has murdered enough children to fill 800 football stadiums and eaten away at the very fabric of civilization in the process. Feminism's defenders, even on the right, will point out that in spite of all this, Feminists gave us uh, women's suffrage, and they allowed women to take out mortgages and credit cards. But even if I agreed that we needed feminism specifically to bring about those changes, and I don't, they still don't begin to outweigh the cost. If I could trade in women's suffrage to get back the 60 million humans that feminism killed, I would do it in a heartbeat. Any moral decent person would. Another defense that you'll hear from feminists And many on the right as well, is that first wave feminism was good and second wave feminism was also, you know, okay. But the others, the other waves, that's where it all went off the rails, they say. These people will attempt to argue that the first and second waves of feminism are somehow distinct from the modern incarnations. All they cared about back uh, in the old days of feminism, supposedly, were just basic human rights. This is a misconception. Even the blessed first waivers were generally anti-man and anti-family, and they were clear about it. Mary Wollstonecraft, considered one of the founders of the feminist movement, had so much disdain for marriage that she wrote two novels about it. Jane Adams, another much-celebrated first-wave feminist, supported eugenics. Margaret Fuller, one of the most widely cited first-wave feminists, wrote extensively about marriage, but she also argued that unmarried life leads to greater connection with the divine. Here's a passage from her book, Woman in the Nineteenth Century, In which Fuller praises unmarried women who she calls old maids because they aren't shackled to their husbands. Quote, Not needing to care that she may please a husband, a frail and limited being, her thoughts may turn to the center, and she may, by steadfast contemplation, enter into the secret of truth and love. Now, there are many more examples, but really all you need to do is look at what happened after first wave feminism. Just a few short decades later, we got the legalization of baby murder nationwide as well as overt calls for the abolition of the nuclear family. They certainly weren't subtle about it. One of the most famous second-wave feminists, Kate Millett, is known precisely because she, she wanted to destroy marriage and the traditional family unit. That was her whole point. Here's a quote from Millett, from Millett's dissertation, Sexual Politics. Quote: A sexual revolution would require an end of traditional sexual inhibitions and taboos, particularly those that most threaten patriarchal monogamous marriage homosexuality, illegitimacy, adolescence, uh, pre- and extramarital sexuality, the goal of revolution would be a permissive single standard of sexual freedom and one uncorrupted by the crass, exploitative economic base of traditional sexual alliances. Now Mill goes on to admit in the understatement of the century, it seems unlikely all this could take place without drastic effect upon the patriarchal proprietary family. She also argues that the nuclear family is an obstacle which precludes, quote, a woman's contribution to the larger society, and complains that the traditional method of childcare, quote-unquote, i.e. a mother taking care of her own children, is, quote, unsystematic and inefficient. Now, this is feminism 50 years ago, outwardly opposed to the nuclear family, the very foundation of human civilization itself. It goes without saying that Millett was also a big proponent of abortion. She said that she considers the legalization of abortion to be one of the great achievements of the feminist movement. This is the belief system that virtually all second-wave feminists endorse, destroy the family, kill children. Now, ask yourself this question. If feminism was such an obvious good in its original incarnation, then how in the hell could it have devolved into an anti-family, pro-abortion feeding frenzy in the span of a few decades? You know, it's like saying that the Bolsheviks had the right idea, but who could have predicted the gulags? If most people will agree that every wave of feminism was a disaster, except for the first one and maybe the second, then a thinking person must start to wonder whether that first one was really so great after all. Okay, if, if, if you're going to say that, oh yeah, the first part of this was great, but everything after it was terrible, well, given that the first part led to everything else, then it sounds like the first part wasn't so good. A thinking person might start to see that even in its first wave, there were the kernels, the poisonous seeds that would soon sprout into this hideous, deformed tree that we all see today. A tree with many branches, and one of those branches is trans ideology. The uh, gender-critical feminists that I mentioned earlier are critical of trans ideology, but they don't understand how their own movement created it. The feminists are the ones who first argued that men and women are basically the same, aside from meaningless anatomical differences. They are the ones who declared that most sex differences are social constructs. Sound familiar? They don't want to admit any of this, of course, so some gender-critical feminists have tried to flip this around and say that those of us with, quote, traditional views on sex have been the ones to set the stage for trans ideology. The feminist writer, Helen Joyce, made this argument last year when she was uh, in a podcast and she was asked about my film, What is Woman? And here's what she said. Watch.
1: I don't think it's a great film, funnily. I mean, I, I'm writing a review of it today from my own newsletter. Um, so, I mean, y- you know you know who Matt Walsh is. He's a very conservative Catholic. He's somebody who's anti-abortion, anti, you know, he says feminism is the worst thing that's ever happened to Western civilization, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think he understands, in fact, I'm certainly doesn't understand that that makes him part of the whole problem. Because the problem, and it's visible all through the film, is that both conservatives like Matt Walsh and gender ideologues that he's mocking fairly, completely fairly, both believe that gender stereotypes and gender roles are inherent to what it is to be a woman. One side uses them to define what a woman is, Matt Walsh thinks that they're inseparable. He understands that a man is a a male person and a woman is a female person, but he thinks a whole load of things follow from that about who's in charge, who makes the sandwiches, whose voice gets heard and all of this sort of thing. Well, if you give your average teenage girl the choice between cutting off her breasts, taking testosterone and having a shot at being seen as the half of humanity that's regarded as truly human or accepting that she's Matt Walsh's wife in the kitchen making sandwiches and asking him to open the jar, which is very near the end of the film, (laughs) she'll cut her tits off and take testosterone. So he's part of the problem.
0: That's interesting, Helen. You're saying that rigid gender roles, as you would describe them, give rise to trans ideology. Well, Helen, did you watch the section of the film where I go to the Maasai tribe in Kenya? They have extremely well-defined and rigid gender roles and have for literally thousands of years, and they've never even heard of transgenderism. In fact, my quote, traditional view of sex was the dominant view across the entire world everywhere, in all places, everywhere on the planet, since the dawn of human civilization up until just this past century. And yet for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, traditional gender roles never led to any woman cutting her breasts off in an attempt to identify as a man. Have you thought about this, Helen? If my view of sex is old and ancient, which it absolutely is, I admit that proudly, and if my view also leads directly to trans ideology, then why isn't trans ideology also old and ancient? Do you see the problem here? Well, this thing that Matt Walsh... uh, espouses leads directly to trans ideology, and yet, and yet people have been espousing what Matt Walsh espouses for thousands of years, and trans ideology came along five seconds ago. Well, that was a delayed reaction, wasn't it, Helen? That's interesting. No, trans ideology came about directly on the high heels of feminism. Why? Because, again, feminists are the ones who first argued that men and women are effectively the same, aside from what they considered insignificant anatomical differences. Feminists are the ones who declared that all gender roles and gender stereotypes are social constructs. For many decades, if anybody argued that women can compete with men in sports and do everything men can do, it would have been a feminist. Now that argument primarily comes from trans activists, and you want to pretend that they aren't saying exactly what your club has been saying for, like, a century? It's absurd. Helen, you say that I understand that a man is a male person and a woman is a female person, but that I think, quote, a whole bunch of other things follow from that. Yes, you're exactly right. I think that being a man means something, and it means more than just anatomy. And being a woman means something, and it means more than just anatomy. See, what you don't understand is that your rejection of this principle, your claim that a whole bunch of things don't follow from being a man or a woman, that being a man or a woman has essentially no significance aside from differences in sex organs, means that you and your ideology are to blame for exactly the thing you pretend to be fighting against. You made this. You did it. But it's no surprise that such a murderous and evil ideology refuses to be honest with the world. Feminism has brought about destruction, misery, confusion, so much confusion that it's even confused about itself. Which is why so often, uh, you know, feminists themselves seem to understand feminism least of all. This is what you get from an ideology whose primary goal is to dismantle and destabilize, a goal that it has certainly achieved. It was uh, Oppenheimer who said the words, quoting Hindu scripture, but feminism has a much greater claim to the title. Now I am become death, destroyer of worlds. And that is feminism in a nutshell. Now let's get to our five headlines. If you want some positive news in the culture war, well, uh, since Roe v. Wade was overturned, the left has lost their minds making abortion their official sacrament. The pro-life efforts, which are more important now than ever, are booming. You heard that right. Despite the narrative, pro-lifers didn't go away. They increased in numbers, in fact. As one of the largest pro-life organizations in the world, no one's in a better position than 40 Days for Life to end abortion in each state in a post-Roe America. 40 Days for Life is changing hearts and minds in the most blue pro-abortion states. They've had a record number of locations since Roe was overturned, and they grew in both volunteers and locations. With about a million volunteers in 1,500 cities, they hold peaceful vigils outside abortion facilities. You can help them in the fight, uh, and also fight the ongoing legal battles, which is so important, by protecting free speech for their volunteers, by giving a tax-deductible gift of any amount to 40daysforlife.com. It's 40daysforlife.com, 40daysforlife.com. All right, I just want to say from the start here that the UFO hearings are happening today on Capitol Hill. The House Oversight Committee is hearing from witnesses about UFOs. It's a historic moment. Needless to say, you know, this is like my Super Bowl. Uh, it's a very exciting time for, for me and, and uh, I think indeed for, for the entire country, or at least it should be. Um, if we can't all appreciate this and enjoy it, then I don't know what that says about our country. And the fact is that, uh, that we can't all appreciate it and enjoy it. In fact, I, I, you know, I can't even, I want to enjoy the UFO hearings. Um, and part of that is following along on social media. But so much of the commentary is, this is a distraction. They're trying to distract us. As I've said a million times. Like, you think they need to do this to distract us? You flatter us way too much. You flatter the American population way too much when you think they have, they have to go to these extremes. They have to make up stories about aliens to distract us. We are already the most perpetually distracted group of people that have ever existed on the planet. OK, we, we're distracted by anything, any shiny, uh, any, any bouncy ball that bounces across through them, any shiny object, any squirrel running through the yard, we're distracted by And you think that they have to sit around in smoky rooms and come up with all these elaborate schemes to distract us. Because otherwise we're, you know, otherwise we're really focused in on the important issues in society, aren't we? So they got to try really hard. Oh, come on. Um, That's not what's going on here. What's really going on is they're having UFO hearings because we are in the midst of an alien invasion. That's obviously the more logical explanation. Or maybe it's somewhere in between those two extremes. I don't know, but anyway, uh, it's the, the hearings going on right now, and we'll talk more about. I want you, I don't want you to think. I want you to tune into the show today, and uh, and I don't mention the UFO hearings, and you think well, what is what has happened? Has Matt himself been is it a body snatched by the aliens? Why is he not talking about it? Uh, the answer is that I want to wait for all to happen. It's happening right now as I speak, and then we can we can go into great depth uh, tomorrow, which I know is is. Uh, something that's a that's a tease for tomorrow's show that will be very exciting for you know at least 8 or 9% of the audience. Uh, so we'll start instead with this. TMZ reports LeBron James's son Bronny was rushed to a hospital after suffering cardiac arrest during a basketball workout. TMZ Sports has learned uh, a James family spokesperson tells TMZ Sport yesterday while practicing Bronny James suffered a cardiac arrest. Medical staff was able to treat Ronnie and take him to the hospital. He's now in stable condition, no longer in ICU. We ask for respect and privacy for the James family. And we'll update media when there's more information. So that's all we really know is that he collapsed. There was a cardiac, he had cardiac arrest. He was unconscious, brought to a hospital. Um, and But now he's in stable condition. Uh, he's no longer in critical condition. And uh, that's all we've been told. Now, obviously, the conversation around this incident has revolved mainly around the COVID vaccine and uh, the kind of assumption that this is, must be related to the COVID vaccine. COVID vaccine. I, I'll say for my part, I'm not comfortable declaring that the two are related because to begin with, I don't even know if the kid took the jab. So it seems to me that we would at least need to know that much before we can draw any kind of conclusions at all. Um, and, uh, and I'm not sure that it's safe to assume that he that a healthy teenage male took the jab. It's safe to assume that his dad probably would have claimed that he took it, but did he actually... I don't know. Um, I, one thing we have to remember about a lot of these celebrities who are out uh, endorsing the jab and pushing it on other people, just because they were out endorsing it and talking about how great it is, and LeBron James was one of them, it doesn't mean they actually believed it and took it themselves. Um, in fact, I think you give them way too much credit if you assume that, oh, well, they were just, they were mistaken and they thought it was a great thing. And so they went out and t- told everyone to take it. And then later found out that it wasn't. I think for a lot of these people, um, they didn't believe anything they were saying about the COVID vaccine, about COVID in general, lockdowns. and That's why they were also out talking about how we have to wear masks or we're all going to die. And then it was very common to see these people out in public not wearing a mask. So um, I'm willing to bet that a lot of the same kind of thing was happening with the COVID vaccine. A lot of these celebrities who said they took it didn't really um, and certainly didn't give it to their kids. I'm sure many of them did, but then there are many who didn't. Which is all to say, I, so I, don't, I don't know, if was, did the kid have it or not, um, that's information that we would need. But what we do know is that there's just no denying that we're hearing a whole lot about people, young people, healthy people in particular, suddenly keeling over from heart attacks and cardio, heart cardiac arrest. I don't remember hearing about these kind of cases so often in the past. Nobody does. And so this is another one of those cases where we're not supposed to believe our lying eyes, or our lying ears. We... we we see things happening. And we think, well, this this is strange. This doesn't happen often. I mean, if there were if there were eighteen year old kids uh, collapsing from cardiac arrest commonly, I would have remembered that. That's the kind, It seems like this is happening a lot more now, um, and that's our that's our intuition um, based on what we are observing. But we're told from the media, oh, don't trust that. Yeah, you think that, you think it, but that's not the case. No, what what we're seeing is obviously true. We're not imagining this. Uh, Now, we heard about cases of people, even young people, collapsing from uh, cardiac arrests and and other heart-related things in the past. That's always existed, but not to this extent, not this often. And that's why you're always going to have this speculation every time something like this happens. You can't complain about speculation because speculating is what people do when facts are withheld from them. We're human beings. We have brains. We can't turn them off or put them on idle mode just because the powers that be tell us to, tell us to do that. So they say, don't speculate about the connection between the COVID jab and all these people keeling over suddenly. Even if I wanted to, which I don't. I can't just say, okay, well, click. I won't think about that possibility anymore. As you wish, master. No, that doesn't happen. So... People are going to wonder, and they're going to speculate. And the best thing you can do is tell the truth and talk about it. Get the information out there and start with this. Did Bronnie James get the vaccine or not? It's not that at this point we could even trust whatever they, whatever answer they give us to that question, but we should get an answer to, to start with. And if you really didn't get the vaccine, then you could just say that. If you didn't get the vaccine, you don't want people connecting this to the vaccine um, That would be understandable, but I would think the first thing you would do is come out and say, no, he didn't even take it. So it had nothing to do with that. Um, And then we could go from there. But it has to start with giving people information. And they can complain all they want about the rampant speculation and the quote-unquote conspiracy theories that go on, but uh, it's all their fault. The people that are withholding information, it's their fault. Because when you leave this, this, uh, this vacuum of information, people are going to fill it with speculation. They're going to theorize and they're going to think about, well, what could this be? They're going to come up with guesses and, and uh, educated guesses. And that's what people do. Now, I want to make one other point. You know, everyone, well, well mo- most people, at least on the right, seem to agree now that obviously COVID was handled horribly. Uh, the vaccine was rushed out. Many awful things happened as a result. Here's another question that I have. Is there going to be any accountability for that at all? Is anyone going to be held responsible? These are rhetorical questions. I know the answer. We've already answered that question. The answer is no. Yeah. No one is going to be held accountable for this. All of the political leaders, I'm talking about Republicans now, who were behind all of this. It wasn't just Republicans behind it, but I'm talking, you know, the Republicans were not holding their own leaders accountable. Uh, but they've all been let completely off the hook. You know, this kind of goes back to what I just said about the UFO hearings and this idea that, oh, they need to come up with UFOs and alien stories to distract us. No, because think about this. I mean, f- for for years, for two or three years, COVID was the, the central focus, certainly for... At least the first six months of COVID, it was like the only thing that anyone talked about. And it kind of continued that way, at least for another another six months, for a whole year. And there was a lot of talk at the time about, uh, we're going to find out who's responsible for this. All the leaders that led us astray, they're all going to be held responsible. And then COVID kind of leaves the headlines. And almost immediately, everyone forgets about it. All the talk about we're going to hold people responsible. Uh, yeah, you know, we've moved on. Whatever, doesn't matter. That's how easily we forget and how easily we're distracted. That's something as significant as what we all went through, you know, in the year 2020 and 2021, it's something, the entire years of our lives that we all experienced, uh, something as significant as that, as that can be just forgotten the moment that the media stops talking about it. All right, I enjoyed this recent report from CNN. Uh, They went to investigate the shoplifting epidemic in San Francisco, and let's watch what happened during this investigation.
2: Richie Greenberg walked into a San Francisco Walgreens when he saw in the frozen food section this. Chains, heavy chains that went from padlock to padlock on both sides of the doors, and this was
0: bizarre, something I'd never seen before. This is just more icing on the cake Telling us that rampant crime is, is, has become a
2: a regular part of life. So typical that in the 30 minutes we were at this Walgreens, (laughs) we watched three people, including this man, steal. Did that guy pay? Did that guy pay? He didn't pay. Walgreens says this Richmond neighborhood store with aisles of products like mustard locked behind plexiglass has the highest theft rate of all their nearly 9,000 US stores, hit more than a dozen times a day. When thieves turned to cleaning out ice cream and frozen burritos, workers grew so frustrated they resorted to the chains. They were ordered down by corporate because of the negative messaging. But Walgreens isn't the only retailer impacted in San Francisco. Have to ask an employee for help at this store. Frozen food is controlled with a cable lock. Fake eyelashes locked behind plexiglass, along with lotion and nail polish. At another grocery store, $14 bags of coffee under lock and key. What is this? Um,
0: I don't know. I don't understand why coffee. Oh, here she
2: is. Oh,
0: (laughs) it's become kind of like a police state in San Francisco. (laughs) I don't know how to describe it. Police state. Sure. It's a police state where people casually stroll into a convenience store and leave with a handful of merchandise without any fear of any sort of prosecution. That's a police state. No, that's that's the exact opposite of police. What you are seeing is the exact opposite of a police state. Companies don't companies don't lock up their bags of coffee behind padlocks in a police state. That happens in a state with no police. So it is, again, very much the opposite problem that you're experiencing in San Francisco. But as always, you know, it's it's very revealing to look at the kinds of merchandise that places like Walgreens and other stores have to put behind lock and key. It's um, expensive bags of coffee, uh, ice cream, frozen burritos, fake eyelashes, nail polish, lotion, pancake syrup. Now... What's the significance of that? Well, these are not the items that you grab if you are starving and malnourished, which means that poverty is not driving this problem. Somebody who's poor and desperate and needs to steal to survive isn't going to steal Pete's coffee or a carton of cookie dough ice cream. I've been broke, okay? I was broke for... Several years. I didn't steal gourmet coffee bags or cartons of ice cream. I just didn't buy them. That's what you do when you're broke. You just don't buy that stuff. I went through years of my life where I never went to the grocery store and bought dessert or expensive coffee. Couldn't afford it. I was surviving. I was, I was fine. I wasn't going to die. But, uh, but I just couldn't afford that kind of stuff. So I didn't buy it. And it was okay. So what you're seeing here is not poverty. Uh, being poor alone doesn't cause you to do that. just doesn't. What causes this is when you are totally indifferent. So what we're seeing in San Francisco, along with a lot of other things, is total indifference. It is a form of despair, but, but it's not despair brought on by financial desperation. It's the despair of simply not caring about anything, having no moral compass, just doing whatever you want because you want to. That's the despair gripping hold of San Francisco and many places in America, and it's uh, encouraged and facilitated by the government, which is not enforcing the law. You, you know what? Someone who's stealing ice cream from Walgreens, you know what they need? What they need most of all? They need a consequence. Okay? They need consequences. In fact, everybody needs consequences. This is a basic human need. When you live a life free of consequence, it, it's, it breeds despair. Because without consequence, you don't have direction. You don't have meaning. And you end up with San Francisco, a wasteland where people are just wandering around like zombies. And it's disgusting and gross and depressing and ugly. That's what you end up with. And that's the other thing, too. uh, Ugliness, okay? Here's what we have to understand. Ugliness will always be a part of life uh, in this fallen world that we live in. There will always be ugliness. And we, as a society, have to choose what kind of ugliness we want. Each society chooses its form of ugliness. It's kind of like in Ghostbusters when they had to choose the form of their destructor, and they chose the Marshmallow Man. Well, each society must choose its ugliness. So, people don't like, um, especially these days, we don't like prisons. We don't like uh, police arresting people. That's ugly. It's an ugly thing. It is. Prisons are ugly places. They're not. They are. They're not beautiful it's not a beautiful, it's not beautiful to be in a prison. It's an ugly place. It looks ugly. Ugly things are happening. The whole thing is ugly. The fact that people need to go to prison is ugly. It's all, it's all very ugly. Um, arresting someone, it's, it's, it's a very ugly thing. And it, and it can get even uglier. The police try to arrest them if they're just arresting someone for stealing ice cream. And if the person resists, then the police have to use force because if they don't use force, then there's no point even having the cops in the first place. I mean, if someone can resist arrest and the cops have to go, well, OK, if you don't want to be arrested, never mind. Then that's just the same thing as not having cops in the first place. So if you're going to have the law, they need to have law enforcement. And if you're going to have law enforcement, means it means it, has to, it, 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 requires a, it requires force, violence. And so they're arresting someone for something petty, and the person resists. And so now they have to use force, and that person uses force also. And sometimes uh, that person ends up dead. We've seen that many times. George Floyd starts with, uh, with a $20 counterfeit bill. And what we often hear from the left is, is it, is it worth you know, police are going to kill someone over a, a $20 bill? Going to kill someone over shoplifting? Is it worth that? Well, the answer is yes. I mean, it is. Now, the way you're phrasing that is is not totally honest. It's not like the cops just showed up and shot someone dead because they were using counterfeit money or because they stole something. So they weren't killed for that. But they were killed in the process of enforcing the laws against that. And it's a very ugly thing. It is. But the point is that if you don't want that ugliness, if you say it's too ugly, I don't want it. It's enforcing a law. It's a very ugly thing. I don't want it. Don't, we don't want it in society. It makes my tummy hurt to look at it. Don't want it. it makes me feel uncomfortable. Having all these people in, uh, in jails. We hear the left complain about uh, they give us the stats on all the people in jail. Oh, it, it makes me feel like all oh, those people in jail. That's not right. I, I feel bad about that. That's mean. Well, Okay. So we're not going to have that ugliness anymore, the ugliness of enforcing the law and punishing people and consequence and that sort of thing. But you don't escape the ugliness. Then what happens is that the ugliness is elsewhere. In in this case, it's everywhere. So if you don't want to contain the ugliness, you're going to end up with it everywhere. Everything becomes ugly. In San Francisco, they do not have the ugliness of enforcing laws, arresting people, carting them off to jail. They don't have that. And so in exchange, everything is ugly. In exchange, they have, uh, you know, bags of coffee behind padlocks in the in the in the convenience store. Okay. In exchange, if you want to go buy a grocery item, you have to you have to be escorted to the aisle by an employee who takes out a big uh, a big key ring and unlocks it and hands it to you. That's what you get in exchange for not having the ugliness of law enforcement. Um, I prefer the other option, you know, where, where we, at least then the ugly things are contained. And if you are going to have to face that kind of ugly thing, it's because you chose to. You know, you chose to steal and now you've put yourself in a very ugly situation, which means you're, 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 the cops are going to come. You're going to go to jail. It's gonna, not going to be good for you. Really ugly situation. But you chose it. You chose it. As opposed to now, if you don't have law enforcement, you don't have consequence, then everyone has to deal with the ugliness, whether they chose it or not. Um, Speaking of ugly things, Daily Wire has this. The University of Texas at Austin will host workshops on affirming LGBTQIA plus people and LGBT allyship, which warn of heterosexual and monosexual privilege. Monosexual. Thing now. The university's gender and sexuality center hosts a a, uh, number of different workshops for students, staff, faculty, and administrators, which use an intersectional approach to foster and develop allyship practices that center affirming people of color as necessary for affirming women and LGBTQIA plus people. Wait, what does that even mean? Use an use an intersectional approach to foster and develop allyship practices that center affirming people of color as necessary for affirming women and LGBTQIA plus people. That doesn't mean anything. Of course not. The center will host two workshops next month, Affirming LGBTQIA plus people interpersonal advocacy on August 1st and Affirming LGBTQIA plus people organizational advocacy on August 3rd. So there's still time for you to sign up for that seminar if you want. But it's all about being an ally. It's all about allyship. And if you're wondering, if you want to know more about uh, what it means to be an ally, well, you can go to one of these workshops or you can watch this. This is a, a viral TikTok video where a trans-identified person talks about, you know, uh, the the need for us, quote, cis people to be allies and also explains what being an ally means. Let's watch that.
2: If you're cis, I want you to message the trans person in your life and ask them, what is one thing that you can do to lighten their load this week whether that be grocery shopping folding laundry doing dishes ask the trans people in your life if there's a task or something that you can offer them to help with the burden that we're carrying because we're having to deal with all of this stuff right now while having to deal with all of the life stuff that we regularly deal with and the regular life stuff that we deal with is life stuff And then there's transphobia and living as a trans person in the world. And then there's what's going on right now, which is all of that combined. And then send that trans person $5 so they can get themselves a (laughs) treat.
0: All this stuff, you know, all this stuff we're dealing with as trans people, all this stuff we're dealing with so much. Yeah. What are you dealing with exactly? What exactly are you dealing with? Are you 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 dealing with being uh, in the most celebrated and catered to group in history? Are you dealing with being like relentlessly praised and applauded everywhere you go? By people who have guns to their heads, being forced to do so? Upon threat of their lives and reputations being destroyed if they don't affirm and praise everything you do? Are you dealing with that? Is that hard? Is that hard for you? Is it hard for you to be the most in the most privileged group ever? Oh, is it hard for you to be in a group where um, you, know, you have so much privilege that the, uh, the very, the, the, the society is trying to change the very laws of science and physics to, to uh, appease you? Is that hard? Hmm. Is, it, is it hard to be in a, in a group where uh, you don't have to abide by the basic rules and the basic systems that the whole rest of humanity has always abided by? Like, for example, if you're a male, you go in the male restroom, and if you're a female, you go in the female restroom? You don't have to abide by that. You can just go in whatever restroom you want, depending on how you're feeling that day. Is that difficult? Yeah, it sounds really hard. I'm so sorry for that. So sorry for all these, all, of that, all that that you're dealing with. But you know what? Everyone deals with life stuff. That's just called, that's just called being a person. Okay? And, and uh, having to occasionally encounter people who don't agree with you or um, are not going to affirm you, God forbid, that's called being a, a person. Do you know how often I encounter people who don't agree with me and don't want to affirm me? Now, the good thing is I don't need their affirmation. I've never asked for it. I don't go around desperately seeking it. But I got to tell you, there are a lot of people that have a very non-affirmative attitude when it comes to me. But you don't see me, uh, you know, panhandling, saying, give me five dollars so I can buy a coffee to assuage this uh, this deep hurt that I've, that I'm experiencing. So what we hear there is um, if you want to be an ally, then it basically means be a servant. Be a servant to trans people, which this is the important point about allyship. So we'll get to what does it mean to be, if you're interested in being an ally of trans-identified people, which uh, I'm not interested at all, but if you are, then this is what it means for you. It means that you are a servant. Because what we find is that when the left talks about being an ally— whether it's um, a heterosexual person being, uh, being an ally to the LGBT cult or a white person being an ally to black people, whatever it is, anytime they talk about allyship, it's, it, is a, it is not really an alliance, but rather a servant relationship. It is subservient. It is a one-way street, which is not typically the way that an alliance is supposed to work. So the alliance, the allyship that you find uh, from trans people... It's, it's actually it's quite similar to, I guess, the way that U.S. foreign policy approaches alliances these days. Where it's always one-sided, you know, where our, our allies are our countries that we do everything for them and we protect them and give them everything and give them money and give them weapons and give them everything, and they give us absolutely nothing in return. That's what it means. That's what a, an alliance means in the context of modern U.S. foreign policy. And it's, uh, I, I guess, the trans folks have taken taken a page from that book. Only in this case, we... So we, as the non-trans, we, we play the role of the U.S. government and they are all the other countries. And so we are uh, uh, an allies of theirs by doing everything for them and they do nothing for us. Because in a real alliance, okay, if there's going to be an actual alliance here, an allyship, it means that you have to do something too. So I guess what I'm going to... I would flip this back around, you know, if you're a trans person talking about being an ally what are you doing for me? What the hell are you, what do I get out of this? So you've just explained all the things that I should do for you to make you feel better. What the hell are you doing? What are you doing for us? We know what you want from us. That's all you ever talk about. All you ever talk about is all the things you want from us and all the things you deserve. The only thing you ever talk about. What are you doing for everybody else? Okay? What are you doing for us? You want me to be your ally? Do, what, what do I get out of it? Okay. It's not just you as self-interest. That's all you're focused on. What do I get? So I have to give up everything I know about reality for your sake and, uh, and give you money and run errands for you. And then you do what? I get what? Nothing? Exactly. Well, no thanks. Thanks for the offer, but no thanks. I think I'll just continue on living my life exactly as I was before. And if it upsets you or offends you, I don't care. Just don't at all. Uh, good, glad we cleared that up. Let's get to the comment section. Who
2: makes a Twitter mob fly off the handle with rage? Who's to blame? It's a sweet baby game.
0: Buying a new car can be a stressful experience for anybody, especially if you're a first-time buyer or you have no credit. Before you walk into a dealership and spend the entire day with the crowd, stress, and the potential that you might not even find the right car, you need to check out CarZing. CarZing is completely changing the way you buy a car online by partnering with credit agencies, lenders, and over 25,000 dealers nationwide. CarZing provides you with everything you need before stepping foot into a dealership. Once you find the right car, it's your ideal budget, all you got to do is bring your saved deal voucher with you to the dealership to finalize your next ride. It's so simple. Even if you're not in the market for a new car, you should check out CarZing anyway. CarZing's online window shopping experience goes beyond mere images. You can dive deep into each vehicle's specifications, features, and performance capabilities. Zoom in on the craftsmanship of the interior marvel at the cutting-edge technology and admire the meticulous attention to detail that sets these new automobiles apart from the rest. Carzing helps uh, make your experience faster, cheaper, and less stressful. Visit Carzing.com/Walsh today and find the best deals near you. That's Carzing.com/Walsh. Brian says most of us have experienced taking a child to the park only to hear them constantly saying, "Watch me, Dad! Watch me! Watch me!" It's as if they can't have any fun unless their parent is keenly focused upon their every move. Well, I believe that the cell phone has now enabled adults to channel this same childish desire to be watched while they're having fun. Mystery solved. There's a lot of truth to that. It's an insightful, insightful take. Great insight there. Um, And of course, the difference is that for children, this is this is a natural. It's a natural desire. It's a healthy desire. The child wants to be watched. Wants you to pay attention. Uh, This is really like this is actually almost all that kids want. Uh, It's they really it boils down to this. I mean, they're the basic needs that they have. Obviously, that you have to fulfill as a parent. Um, you have to feed them and clothe them and provide shelter and all the rest of it. Outside of that, what they want most of all is just your attention. They want you to pay attention to them and they can't have it all the time. You know, so kids want attention all the time. They can't always have it because the rest of your life continues and you have to be able to do other things that are not directly focused on them. Right. Um, and for their own sake, you have to be able to, to do that, but they do want attention and they need, they need a lot of attention as well. And it really is as simple as that most of the time. And I, and I think for for a lot of parents who get really frustrated, as we, we talked, I don't remember if it was a member's block or not, but pa- uh, the parents who are miserable as parents. And it is true that there are not every, we talk about the joys of parents, doesn't mean that every parent is is joyful. There are plenty of parents who are, in fact, miserable, but it's not because there's anything wrong with being a parent. It's really there's something wrong with them. It's a character flaw in them, that they are too self-focused and self-interested and, um, and. and uh, they're unwilling to just do the basic things like just pay attention to your kid it, it, it really is it's it's often just as simple as that that's all your kid wants uh, it's nothing elaborate too just sit down just sit down and pay attention to them that's it um, but instead I think you have yeah you have these adults who never grew up um, who never got over that phase because as you point out the internet and social media and cell phones that kind of they feed into this so that you always have this de- desire to get attention from other people And then they end up having kids and their kids are begging for attention from them. But the parent is on the phone trying to get attention from other people. And it's a very sad situation. We've seen this at at, uh, playgrounds all the time. I mean, you go anytime you take your kid to the playground and you look around, you're going to find there are some parents who are involved in paying attention and they're interacting with their kids. But then you also find many cases. The kid is out playing at the playground and the mom is sitting on the bench just looking at the phone the entire time. And she's trying to get attention from the phone, and the child's trying to get attention from her. Mommy, look at what I'm doing. She looks up. Oh, it looks great, honey. Right back to the phone. It is a shame. Um, Vander says, or Xander, small, I can't read. I get her frustration and roll my eyes at people taking selfies, but look at it this way. For all the people who were there wanting to listen to her music and pay attention and paid for it, she interrupted the song for all of them to call out the people who weren't paying attention. Yeah. That, and that, that's the criticism of Randall Lambert, but at the same time, look, sometimes for the sake of the greater good, you know, these sorts of things need to happen. And so I, I do appreciate that, that uh, it's unusual, it's unorthodox, and it seems like a small thing. It seems It seems petty to stop in the middle of your concert to scold someone for taking a selfie. But if we are going to get past the the selfie epidemic, the selfie scourge, it's going to require things like this. Uh LMAO, the funny thing is I've always felt the same way, as Matt has described about selfies. I had uh, some family complain at me asking why I didn't take any photos of my vacation. I thought, why did I need a picture? I was there. So the next vacation I was taking photos of myself at certain locations and felt weird. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I always have felt the same way. I, I, there's, a certain, there's a certain instinct people have to take photos all the time that I don't quite have, so it always feels unnatural for me, even when I, even on the rare occasion when I take a picture. Um And, you know, I said yesterday that the real the real shame here is that people are really they're just always taking pictures of their own faces. And so you're filling your phone with just (laughs) most people. If you go and you look at your your saved photos on your phone and there are thousands of them and it's going to be like 95 percent just your own face over and over and over again, which is um, which is kind of grotesque in a lot of ways. And so at least if you're going to take pictures and you're on vacation or something, turn the phone around and take pictures of the things that are out there. But even that I don't do because I also figure, hey, you know, I'm out uh, somewhere. We're on the lake and there's a beautiful sunset. And sometimes I'll think, well, that's a beautiful sunset. Maybe I should take a picture of that. But then I think, well, there are, why do I need a picture of that? There are, um, if I want to see a digital image of a sunset, there are like a million I could Google that are better than anything I could take here. I don't need to take a picture of this sunset and post it online. Everyone knows what a beautiful sunset looks like, and they can go on Google in in half a second and find a more beautiful sunset than that. So there's no point in doing it. I might as well just experience the sunset right now and experience it in the totality of it rather than experience it through this little tiny screen. Um, And finally, Alan says, as a father who actually took my daughter to see this horrible Barbie film, I can assure anyone reading this that the movie is far worse than anything Matt Walsh could possibly describe because he had the sense not to sit through it. I have never heard the word patriarchy more in a film in my life. The film actually starts with them literally saying that Barbie Land was a world where all the goals of feminism had been realized. Then at the end of the movie, the dumb Kens are put back in their place and promised that with time, they could be in a place similar to that of women in the real world, far below Barbie. This is a feminist wet dream put on film where all the men are stupid. The movie literally ceases to even be about Barbie and morphs into a feminist manifesto before your eyes. Awful. Uh, I cannot imagine your suffering as a father actually sitting there watching Barbie, although I don't know why. I don't know how you got to the end of it. This, How did you, based on what I just heard about how it began, like why did not you walk out after the first 30 seconds is my question. You know, I have heard that there's been this um, attempt by some conservatives, there's been this rehabilita- this Barbie rehabilitation attempt by some conservatives. I think I saw one, one article on uh, National Review, no big surprise there, arguing that actually Bar- the Barbie film is good. It's good, actually, because I think what they're trying to claim is that, that no, this is, a, this is a satire, it's satirical. So what, they're actually making fun of feminism the whole time. That would be great if that was the case. I would love to imagine that we're living in a world where the director, Greta Gerwig, gets, you know, gets this Barbie, the opportunity to make a Barbie film and turns it into a satire, a biting satire of feminism. But um, that's just not the world we live in, sadly. If you love venturing into the great outdoors, you know that uh, staying connected is essential for safety and peace of mind. That's where Satellite Phone Store comes in. Their devices help you stay in touch with friends, family, and emergency services, even when you're far from cellular coverage. Satellite Phone Store's Bivvy Stick and Satellite Communicator... Use satellite networks for phone calls, text messages, GPS navigation, and an SOS feature for emergency situations. If you're not sure which device is right for you, think about uh, where you'll be using the device and what features are most important to you, and you can figure it out from there. If you need a lightweight, compact option for backpacking, a bivvy stick might be the better choice. However, if you want uh, a more robust device with additional features like weather forecasts and two-way messaging, a satellite communicator could be the better option for you. Something that brings uh, me peace of mind is knowing that even in a global disaster, satellite phones will keep me and my beloved ones always connected. For a limited time, satellite phone store has a special promotional offer. When you go to uh, sat123.com slash Walsh, you'll get a free bivvy stick or a free uh, Inmarsat satellite phone included with an applicable annual agreement. Head over to sat123.com slash Walsh. That's sat123.com slash Walsh and get your device today. Also, here's a sad fact. Marriage rates have hit an all-time low. More people than ever believe that a marriage certificate is just some piece of paper and uh, sort of an outdated tradition. Others have lied to themselves, and they believe they don't need a spouse at all. They'd rather be uh, fun aunts and dog moms or perpetual bachelors. Men and women are both convinced that they're better off being single, but the evidence proving the contrary is astounding. Despite what the left would have you believe, marriage is a good thing. Professionally, personally, mentally, physically— But that's just scratching the surface of the benefits of marriage You'll learn a lot more in Dennis Prager's new episode of You Master's Program, streaming exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. In PragerU Master's Program, Dennis is sharing 40 years' worth of hard-earned wisdom that explores all kinds of topics, like the consequence of secularism, whether human nature is basically good, and the differences between the left and the right. This will make couples think about marriage differently, and if you're single, this episode will absolutely open your eyes. So go to dailywireplus.com to become a member and watch You Master's Program today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Well, it seems it's become a monthly ritual that an American goes somewhere overseas, somewhere outside the Western bubble, and discovers the hard way that the rules are different in that part of the world. Brittany Griner is, of course, the uh, most high-profile recent example, but there have been others. For instance, we heard last week about the odd story of private second class Travis King, who managed to get himself arrested in North Korea. Now, we don't know exactly what happened or why, but we do know that the first and most glaring mistake that leads an American to getting arrested in North Korea is that they go to North Korea. Uh, I have found that, for me, the most effective way to avoid North Korean imprisonment is to not ever be in North Korea. Why did Travis King pay the communist country a visit? Well, the details are odd uh, and still a little bit unclear, but NBC News reports, quote, private second-class uh, Travis King, 23, was about to fly back to the United States from South Korea for possible disciplinary action. disciplinary action after refusing to pay a fine for allegedly damaging public property, he slipped away from the airport in Seoul last Tuesday and managed to join a guided tour to the joint security area, a piece of land between the North and South that's managed by the UN. From there, he sprinted across the border and appeared to be detained by North Korean guards. Now, apparently he didn't want to face disciplinary action in the United States, and so instead he'll face it in North Korea. Which is kind of like, uh, I don't know, curing the pain of a paper cut on your finger by chopping your entire arm off. Effective, I guess, in a certain sense, but overkill, perhaps. Travis King is not the only American to find himself in the uh, in legal crosshairs in a country that isn't exactly renowned for its leniency. A similar fate has befallen a woman named Tiara Allen, otherwise known as On TikTok and YouTube, as the Sassy Trucker. And she got herself arrested a couple of months ago in Dubai. Now, if you think that a self described sassy woman and the Middle East do not seem like necessarily the best combination, then you'd be correct. Before we get into the legal dispute, let's first uh, meet the Sassy Trucker who has amassed a respectable following on social media with content like this. Watch.
2: anyways i had got called in to come pick up the trailer i was leaving a party it's always business before pleasure that's why you see me wearing this green beautiful outfit as you can see i was looking like a snack The money don't stop, so why should
0: I? Enough of that. I think we get the idea. Get the idea there. Um, Now, to be honest, I was expecting a little more sass. Maybe the sassy part is the outfit, as the sassy trucker apparently enjoys doing her long hauls in a spandex jumpsuit. Which makes her, I'm sure, the only person at the truck stop dressed like a backup dancer from a Britney Spears video in 2003. But this is not why she was arrested in Dubai, although she likely would have been had she dressed like that in Dubai. The actual reason had to do with a dispute at a rental car agency. The AP reports, quote, A Houston woman known online as the Sassy Trucker has been stuck in Dubai for months after an altercation at a car rental agency, the latest case showing the limits of speech in this skyscraper-studded city-state. The case against Tiara Young Allen, 29, comes as uh, seven sheikdoms of the United Arab Emirates have rules that strictly govern speech far beyond what's common in Western nations. A middle finger raised in a traffic dispute, a text message calling somebody a name, or swearing in public can easily spark criminal cases, something that foreign tourists who flock here may not realize until it's too late. Uh, Allen traveled to Dubai in April with her social media accounts, with tens of thousands of followers showing videos of her test driving a Mercedes semi-truck, going to a beach, seeing tourist attractions, and partying in nightclubs. Towards the end of Alan's trip, a rental car driven by a friend she was with was involved in a crash on April 28th, said Radha Sterling, who runs a for-hire advocacy group, uh, long critical of the UAE, called Detained in Dubai. After the crash, Alan tried to retrieve personal items from inside the car uh, at the rental agency, sparking altercation, Sterling said. Now, the details from here are sketchy. This Sterling person says that the sassy trucker shouted at a rental car employee, though we aren't told exactly what she said. But Sterling says that the employee uh, started it, that this person yelled first and was being confrontational. Now, Dubai police, on the other hand, claim that the aggression went the other way. Quote, the Dubai police received a complaint from a car rental office accusing her of slandering and defaming an employee amidst a dispute over car rental fees. Police said in their statement, the individual was questioned as per legal procedures and subsequently released pending the resolution of ongoing legal proceedings between her and the car rental office. Now, whatever the case, the sassy trucker cannot leave the country until the investigation is completed and a decision has been made about whether to prosecute. If they do, she could be looking at several months or even a year in prison for this. The AP notes, quote, the State Department separately warns travelers coming to the UAE that, quote, individuals may be arrested, fined, and or deported for making rude gestures, swearing, and making derogatory statements about the UAE, the royal families, the local governments, or other people. Under uh, Emirati law, publicly insulting another person can carry a sentence of up to one year in prison and a fine of $5,450. Disputes over rental car agency fees have seen other foreign tourists stuck in the city state in the past as well. In other words, the UAE is not a place for your sassiness, even if you are the sassy trucker. They literally have laws against being sassy. It is against the law to be sassy. And this comes as, as news to many Americans. We see in these kinds of stories the startling fact that the whole world is not America. You have many privileges here that you don't have anywhere else. Many Americans don't understand that these privileges are privileges. They've gotten so used to basically acting however they want and doing whatever they want and saying whatever they want that that they've come to believe that the universe owes them these freedoms. But then they go somewhere else in the world and they find that the universe is no longer delivering the way it was before. They can kick and scream and say, but I have the right to act this way. This isn't fair. I'm the sassy trucker, damn it. This is my whole shtick. And yet they've uh, wound up in a place that doesn't care how unfair it feels to them, doesn't care what they feel they are owed. Now, I don't know what exactly led to the sassy trucker's arrest. I suspect that whoever started it, she was being quite sassy. This is what I've ascertained based on context clues. And if that is the case, then she's the latest American to learn and learn the hard way that our culture is quite unique in its seemingly endless capacity to tolerate unpleasant behavior. That is the path that we have chosen as a society, the path that empowers and enables obnoxious people. Now, many other countries came to the same fork in the road and chose to go the other way. They don't recognize any right to say and do whatever you want, no matter how vulgar, boorish or indecent it may be. We can insist that such rights exist, but our insistence doesn't mean much in practical terms. These other countries will respond by asking us where these rights exist, how we know that we all have them or should have them, and in what way do they make our lives and our culture better. You know, so we could say to the other countries, well, we have these rights, and you, know, you should guarantee these rights to other people too. You should have a country where people can go to the rental car agency and and yell and scream and and there'll be no consequence for it. You should have that kind of country, too. But these other countries, we say that to them and they say, well, why would we want that kind of country? How has that benefited you? Has it made your life better? Has it made your culture better? Are you happier because of this? Those are fair questions, aren't they? Most Americans will have no answer for any of those questions. They haven't even thought about them. And these are the people who get blindsided in these kind of situations. Now, I'm not saying that I'd prefer to live in a place like Dubai or that we should adopt the same laws. I'm simply stating some facts about the world, whether we like it or not. But there is good news for the sassy trucker. Uh, Joe Biden is still in office, for now anyway, and we know that he's willing to make trades no matter how insane they might be. So perhaps soon we'll hear that the sassy trucker is headed home after the Biden administration secured her freedom with a trade that gives the UAE the entire eastern seaboard of the United States or something. Whatever it takes to get the sassy trucker back. Any trade is worth it. At least that's been Biden's approach, you know. It wouldn't be mine, though. Which is why I will say that, not to add insult to injury, but I think today it is the sassy trucker who is canceled. And that'll do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed.